I have a confession to make this morning. My confession is that I've been in school for far too long. Why are you laughing, Catherine? I've been in school for far too long. And in being, for being in school for the length of time that I have, I've taken a number of classes that I've really enjoyed. And I've taken classes that I haven't enjoyed. And one subject that I've never found enjoyable is math. That's right, it's math. Really, the only math that, that, that a pastor has to do is adding the genealogies in Genesis. So we have to do a little, but it's just addition, very simple. I don't like math. Now, it's not that I don't like math for other people. I think math is very important. And if you enjoy math, if you're good at math, I applaud you. I'm thankful for people like you. But for myself, I've just never enjoyed math. Now, this morning, as you can tell by the title of the sermon, we're going to be doing some math. Now, this is a different type of equation that we'll be doing but it's an equation nonetheless, and this morning's title, the sermon title, is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So here we are bringing math into the discussion this morning, but it's a different type of math. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up to Philippians 3, verse 8. What, what we're going to see this morning... The, the basis of the title of the sermon relates to this. Paul is going to show us how infinitely valuable Jesus is. And Jesus is so valuable. Knowing him, having a personal relationship with him, is so valuable that you cannot add anything to his value. That ultimately, him by himself is everything. If you have him... You have everything. If you do not have him, you have nothing. That's what we're going to see from Paul this morning. Philippians 3, verse 8. Read along with me. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We're going to cover Philippians 3.8a, just the first part here. And I have two points for you this morning. This is going to be a very simple sermon. The outline is very simple. It naturally arises from this passage. For our first point, write this. Everything is loss. Everything is loss. It's easy to see where I'm getting this point from, from the passage. Right at the beginning, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. This part of the passage is going to be form the first part, the first point of the sermon. What Paul is saying here is he's saying that in light of Christ, in light of his value and worth, in light of the value and worth of knowing Jesus, he considers everything to be of loss in comparison with Christ. You see this word indeed at the beginning? Indeed is a word of emphasis. If I say to you, I love my family. And then I say, 
I love my family indeed. The indeed in the second sentence is adding emphasis. I'm saying the same thing in both sentences, but I'm adding more emphasis to the second statement. Indeed adds adds emphasis. And if you're not reading an ESV this morning, let's say you're reading a different translation like a King James or NIV, your translation might say something differently at the beginning. It might say more so or something differently, something different. What Paul is doing here is he's adding emphasis. Verse 8 is a more emphatic verse than verse 7. And in verse 7, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What Paul is stating and arguing for in verse 7 is he's specifically dealing with religious status. We covered that last week, religious status. Paul says in verse 7, that the honors and the privileges that he was born into and that he earned, detailed in verses five through six, those privileges ultimately amount to nothing. In light of Jesus Christ, in light of the importance and worth of Jesus, that those privileges, trusting in those privileges, trusting in those rights, those, on, that, 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 those different types of honor, That religious status, trusting in religious status, ultimately resulted in loss for Paul. It was a liability. And Paul transitions to verse 8, and he's making a more emphatic point in verse 8. And we know this because of the indeed. Paul is saying, you know what? I'm going to up the ante in verse 8. Verse 7 was important, but verse 8 is even more important. Verse verse 8 is a more emphatic point The point he makes in verse 8 is more emphatic than the point he makes in verse 7. And that's indicated by the indeed, by how the verse starts. Now in verse 8, Paul expands his horizon of what it is that he considers as loss. In verse 7, it's narrow. In verse 7, Paul is considering status, religious status as loss. But in verse 8, what does Paul say he considers as loss. What is the word there? Everything. Yours might say all things. Same reference, same reality. Paul is expanding his view in verse 8. In verse 7, he considered religious status. The notion of who we are. I am this or that. He's considering status in verse 7. In verse 8, His circle, what he includes in the discussion is much broader. All things, anything and everything. And the Greek here is just as ambiguous as the English. Well, Paul, what exactly do you mean? He is considering anything and everything that we put hope and trust in. Anything and everything that we might find value in. Whether it's status, like verse 7. Whether it's family, whether it's wealth, whether it's pleasure, whether it's comfort, whether it's leisure and relaxation, whether it's entertainment, whether it's a possession, anything and everything that people find value in, Paul is considering in verse 8. And I want us to look at this verb. What what, what verb does he use? What is the tense of the verb? 
Indeed, I count. That is a present tense verb. Now, if you look at verse 7, Paul highlights a change of perspective that he had. Verse 7 begins, whatever gain I had. So Paul is saying here that at one time, the beginning of verse 7, at one time he considered his religious status to be of gain to him, to be an asset, to be something that aided him in his relationship with God, that he put confidence in his status, in his religiosity. He put a confidence in what he had outside of himself, these specific honors and privileges. At one time, Paul trusted in that. But then, verse 7, he counted as loss. This verb, counted, is a past tense verb. At his conversion, Paul had a change of perspective. What Paul used to treasure and put value in in light of Christ and light of his Damascus road experience, his perspective changed. He no longer valued those things and he considered them to be as loss. And then verse 8, his perspective has not changed. Count is present tense. From the perspective of Paul's writing, Paul is saying in verse 8, you know what, I still think the same thing. And in fact... My view of the matter has expanded. Not only do I see my, form, my former religious status as loss, I consider everything as loss compared to knowing who Jesus is. So Paul's broadening his scope. He's broadening his argument. It's not just about religious status. It's about anything in everything that people place value in, Paul says that that is a loss. That is a liability. Now there's some nuancing here that we need to do. Paul does not consider the blessing that God's, God has given him as unimportant. Turn with me to Philippians 4, verse 14. And as you're turning there, let's consider the notion of money. Money is a blessing. It is not a virtue to be poor. If you are poor, life can be a struggle. We need a certain amount of money to live. It is good to be able to buy groceries. It is good to be able to provide for your family. It is good to be able to pay bills. It is good to be able to give money to other people. That is good. And if we interpret verse 8, Philippians 3, 8, wrongly, we might be led to the conclusion that, well, money is unimportant. Money is loss. Money is not a blessing. And we do not, I do not want us to see it this way. I do not want us to, to interpret the passage this way. God blesses us with many gifts. And many gifts serve to further our relationship with Christ and deepen our thanksgiving. And Paul himself knew this. Philippians 4.14. Read with me here. What we're going to see is that Paul is very thankful for the financial gift that the Philippians gave to him. Philippians 4.14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will, supplies, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, is Paul thankful for this gift? Yes. Paul is extremely thankful for this gift. And this gift, specifically, is money. The Philippians sent Paul money. Paul does not say here, you know what, Philippians? I consider your gift as loss. I have no need for it. Paul's tone is very different. Paul is very thankful here. So to understand 3.8, we must understand Paul's perspective on help, on finances. It is not a sin to consider money or anything else as a blessing from God. It is not a sin. Money can be and is a blessing from God. It is a blessing to share with your family a nice meal. And you can't do that unless you have money. So how do we understand 3.8? Let's go back there. This is how I want us to understand what Paul is saying of considering all as loss with what he says in Philippians 4. One activity that I like to do with my children is to take them outside at night and to go exploring. I have young children, and young children find the darkness kind of spooky, kind of an adventurous spirit. Let's see what's going on out here. You know, the darkness kind of provides a different attitude. And so I like to take the kids outside. Now I can't do that because it gets dark at, I think, 12. But I like to take my kids outside and explore in the darkness with flashlights. Now, I might be the only one having a flashlight because sometimes my kids will be like, oh, dad, look, you know, shining it right in their eyes. So we take them outside and we have flashlights and we look around. And in this context, a flashlight can be very helpful. A flashlight serves an important purpose. It illumines the darkness and it's helpful. Now, let's say I were to take that flashlight out during the daytime. And I were to use that flashlight whenever the sun is shining brightly. Would the flashlight have much usefulness there? No. Let's say I took the flashlight and shined it at the sun. How useful is that? No, that's, that's silly. We would say that's silly. Now what if I said to you this flashlight is what is ultimately important. Don't look at the sun, look at the flashlight. Look what I can do with my flashlight. Look at its value and worth. And I put all of my eggs in the basket of the flashlight. That I held up the flashlight as the most important thing. That is the epitome of foolishness. You don't see people doing that because it, it's silly. And to focus all of my efforts and energies and, and value and worth on a flashlight 
at high noon is of loss. That is silly, completely silly. And I want us to use that illustration to understand what Paul is saying in 3.8. Looking again at 3.8, I count everything as loss. These next two words are very important. What are they? Because of. Paul is not considering money and comfort and pleasure and leisure as loss within a vacuum. He's considering that everything in light of Jesus. And the value and worth of things, when you compare it to Jesus, is like taking a flashlight and shining it at the sun at high noon. It is meaningless. It is silly. It is absurd. To do that is a liability to you. You ought not to focus on a flashlight when you have the sun. That's Paul's point here. The flashlight has usefulness within a certain context. But whenever you take it and you compare it to the glory of the sun, whenever you take anything and compare it to Jesus, it's of loss. It's a liability. To trust in, to take comfort in, to put your hope in any created thing is of loss when that is compared to Christ. So that's what Paul means whenever he says everything is lost. He's not denying the good blessings that God gives to mankind. He is not doing that. What he is saying is that Jesus Christ, knowing him, is of such value and worth that the significance of things, if we focus on that stuff, Whatever that is for you, it is of loss. It is a liability to you. We are, not to supposed to, we are not supposed to focus on a flashlight at high noon, but on the sun. That's Paul's point at the beginning of, 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 the ver, of verse 8. Everything is loss. Why? Why is everything of loss? Second point. Second point is this. Knowing Christ is everything. First point, everything is loss. Second point, knowing Christ is everything. Look again with me at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, that was our first point, we covered that, because of the surpassing worth of, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now this word, surpassing worth, what it means is this, to surpass in quality or value, to be better than, surpass, excel. Bringing out our illustration again. When you consider the flashlight in light of the sun, the sun far exceeds the value and worth of a flashlight. 
the compare, it, it, it doesn't make sense to compare the two. The sun's glory is of such tremendous amount that it far exceeds the small ability that a flashlight has to illumine the night. Now this word here, surpassing worth, Paul uses two other times in Philippians. Look with me in 2.3, Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That word for more significant is the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 3.8. Philippians 2.3 is saying that we should consider others' needs like the sun. The needs of others should far outweigh, far excel, far exceed our own consideration of our own needs. Our needs should be like the flashlight. The needs of others should be like the sun. Now look in Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see that surpasses all? That is the same word that occurs in 3, 8. Paul is saying in this passage that the peace of God is like the sun. The peace of God surpasses our understanding of it. Our understanding of the peace of God is like a flashlight. But in reality, the peace of God is much grander than our ability to understand and conceive it. The peace that God gives to the believer in the time of need far exceeds, far outweighs in value our conception of that peace. So this surpassing worth, using this illustration of a sun and a flashlight. Let's go back to 3.8. Paul is saying that Jesus' worth excels, exceeds, surpasses the value and worth of things. Jesus Christ, knowing him, is the supreme endeavor of humanity. To know him is to have everything. Now, I want you to notice what Paul does not say in verse 8. Paul does not say the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus. What does Paul write instead? Paul writes the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Paul does not say the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus. He instead says the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. This is key. This is the point of the passage. And this is what the inclusion of that word means. 
Paul recognizes the value and worth of Christ independent of himself. Jesus is valuable and worthy, supremely valuable and worthy, whether we recognize that or not. If the whole world were to deny Jesus Christ, were to say that he is of no value, that would not change Jesus' value. Jesus has supreme value and worth regardless of how we feel or think about it. Paul knows that. Paul's point is not to discuss the value and worth of Jesus. Paul's point is to describe the value of having a personal relationship with Jesus. Paul's point, the reason why Paul can say that Christ plus nothing equals everything is because Paul has an intimate, close, and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This word knowing, to know in the Bible, is different than how we oftentimes conceive of knowing. Knowing today is like a school version of knowing. I know this, I know that. I have facts. I know dates. I know the right answer. We largely think of knowing as something that we do with our brains. In the ancient world, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, knowing goes far beyond acquaintance with information. To know Christ is to know him intimately and personally. It's not just to acknowledge him that he is there. It's not just to have an acquaintance with the facts of Christianity. To know Christ is to have him deeply abiding in your heart. It is to have a personal and intimate relationship with him. And this is beautifully complemented by how Paul ends the how, how excuse me. This is beautifully complemented how Paul ends the sentence in verse 8. How does Paul end the sentence? What does he say of Jesus? My Lord. This is the only time in all of Paul's epistles that he uses this language of my Lord. Paul often discusses Jesus as Lord. But this is the only time that he puts the word my before Lord. And the way we should understand this is in relation to the word knowing. What Paul is teaching here is what is infinitely valuable to him. This is a very personal point. Paul is writing here from the heart. This is not abstract. This is deeply heartfelt. What Paul is saying is that what is of supreme value to him is not stuff, is not himself, is not what he can earn for himself or who people thinks who people think he is or pleasure or comfort remember Paul is in prison what Paul says is of ultimate significance and value for him is having a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ to know Jesus to love him to give him your burdens, 
to receive from him mercy and love and comfort and grace. That is what is of supreme value. Jesus is valuable regardless of how you feel about him. But Jesus wants you to want him. He wants you to be able to say, not just Lord, but my Lord. When I was a child, my mother and father introduced me to Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, whenever he would end his crusades, his evangelistic crusades, he would often make this appeal of come and have a personal relationship with Jesus. An invitation to something intimate, something not abstract, but something that's highly relevant to you. Dear friends, Christianity can be true, yet non-appealing. Christianity can be true, and yet non-appealing. You might feel that Christianity is true, that Jesus has risen from the dead, but you don't really see any significance with Jesus. And what this notion of personal relationship highlights is that not only is Jesus true, but Jesus is your greatest need. That there is a relevance to Christianity, a relevance to Jesus that is only satisfied by having a personal relationship with him. In the Midwest, we have people who come from large mainline denominations. And one of the concerns I have for people who call this church home and yet come from that tradition is that Christianity is not seen, Jesus is not seen as personal. Jesus is kind of held at arm's length. You might say yes to Jesus, but you're saying yes to him at arm's length. What you're holding on to is something, whether it's religion, who you are, status, pleasure, comfort, family, possessions. And what Paul's example is teaching us is that it is not enough to have Jesus at arm's length. That will do you no good. What the Lord calls us to, what the Lord calls all of us to, I'm, I'm addressing everyone as individuals. What the Lord calls you to is to have a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Not an arm's length relationship, not a Jesus, you're nice, but I'm gonna hold on to these things. But a Jesus, you come close. Come in my heart. That, that is what is surpassingly great. And by saying yes to Jesus, by saying, Jesus, you don't just come far away, you come here. By saying that, you're gonna have to give up what's in here. You're gonna have to say to Jesus, Jesus, I give this stuff up. You have to count it as loss. But I assure you that what you give up will not compare 
to what you gain. What you gain greatly exceeds what you give up. This is an invitation to follow Jesus. This is an invitation to embrace the greatest, the most glorious reality that you can as a person. The surpassing worth of knowing that Jesus is your personal Savior. With this knowledge, this is the type of knowledge that makes the equation possible. If you have Jesus, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you have everything. If you don't have that, you have nothing. Will you make Jesus your personal Savior? Not arm's length Savior, but personal. Open your heart to him and say, come in. Father, we thank you for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. He is not just a Lord. He is not just the Lord. He is my Lord. Father, impress that knowledge and that love upon our hearts. We pray that we would not hold Jesus off at arm's distance but that we would see with Paul that Jesus is of such value that holding on to any other thing is like shining a flashlight into the sun. Father, give us your son by your spirit. Impress him upon our hearts and give us the surpassing worth of knowing him as our Lord. Bless this congregation. Use us to spread this knowledge of him. In his name, amen.